So every member of my family thinks that uh, I am crazy. I love winter. I love cold weather. I love snow. I love all of it. I just, I grew up in it. Got a hiss here and a whoop here. All right, so I've just divided the room, effectively. Uh, You know, Snowmageddon was awesome, mostly. Um, You know, no electricity in my house for a week. That was kind of not the best. But, um, man, I just, I love the snow and I love the cold. I'm like, cold's way better than hot because I can always put another layer on. You know, first summer I lived in Texas, I thought, okay, this is, this is what hell's like. This is not good. <laughs> ah, it's so hard and miserable and suffering. And then I feel it every single summer that comes along. And probably you're wondering, well, then why do you live in Texas? It's because of the people. I love, I love the people. And I didn't give it a whoop out of that. Come on, man. This, so I, I, I'm not leaving and I love Texas and everything, but I still, I love, I love winter and I love snow because I, I grew up with it. It's just, it's awesome. And I remember uh, growing up, there was one particular winter. In upstate New York, we got lots of snow every year. But one year, we didn't. We didn't get much snow. We're coming into Christmas time. Hasn't been hardly any snow. It's the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, no snow on the ground. There's no snow coming out of the sky at all. Nothing's falling. And so I prayed. I said, Jesus, it's Christmas. We're celebrating your birth. What better way? than to have snow on the ground. Would you please send snow? Would you please send snow? Went to sleep, no snow. Woke up in the morning, a foot of fresh powder. Yeah, like a whoop for Jesus. That was awesome, right? Because Jesus answered my prayer. I mean, I think he did. I don't, actually, I don't know. I mean, maybe he did. Maybe, I, you know, it's a little bit confusing, isn't it? Um, maybe he did that for me. Maybe he didn't do that for me. Um, does God really care about the of a nine-year-old asking for snow? I don't know. Does he care for that kind of stuff? Maybe more uh, culturally relevant for this audience, does he care about Aggie sports, right? Does he care about the outcome of an Aggie baseball game or an Aggie football game? Because I know some of you have been on your knees, right? Oh, Jesus, please. What better way to celebrate Saturday than, you know, you know you've prayed for that. Does God care? I wonder, you know, I think I'm going to make an observation about myself. If, if it applies to you, so be it. But as, I know as, as I've grown older, um, I think I've become so overly analytical about prayer that um, I miss the simplicity of just bringing everything that's on my heart to the Lord. Or my, my prayers are more complicated. My prayers are heavier. The outcomes are weightier, whether it happens or not. I've prayed some things, and it hasn't happened immediately, and so I get confused and analytical about all of it, and I just, I'm, then I ended up just missing out on the simplicity of speaking with my Heavenly Father about absolutely everything. So I'm going to argue this morning this, and that is that um, God wants to hear all of our prayers, and that there is prayer that has power in every single circumstance of life. I think that's how James is going to uh, wrap up the book, and he's going to tie all these pieces together, uh, is that he's really going to challenge us and exhort us to take advantage of the beauty and the simplicity of our relationship with a Heavenly Father that loves us. So, if you're not there already, James chapter 5, let's read beginning in verse 13. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Life's good, life's bad, pray, pray, pray at all times. You've got to pray. He must pray. He commands us 
to pray. And in fact, remember when we started the book of James, we said there's lots of imperatives, like over 50 commands in one short little letter. 50 imperatives. And James ends the book with this imperative. We have to pray. Prayer is not optional for the follower of Jesus. It's not It's not an extra thing. It's not an incidental thing. It's fundamental. In fact, every single book of the New Testament exhorts us to pray, reminds us of the value of prayer and the power of prayer. Every single book is pointing us this direction that we should always be in constant communication with our Heavenly Father. Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And that word, it's a single word in Greek, without ceasing, is a very colorful word. It was used to describe a hacking cough. <laughs> you, just, you, can't, you can't completely get over it. It just keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And as I thought about that verse this week, I thought, you know, I don't have a hacking cough, but what's a, what's a, a parallel in my life right now? Um, what if I prayed as much as I touched my phone? You just let that, let that conviction just sink in right there, right? This, or let's just flip it. What if we prayed every time we touched our phone? Like if that became the trigger, that became the, the cue, the signal, the reminder to interact not just with the digital world, but let me take that and turn that and interact with my loving Heavenly Father constantly, consistently. James says we must pray. And we must pray continuously with our loving Heavenly Father, because he wants to hear absolutely everything that's going on in our lives. Specifically, James will say, pray when life is hard, because frequently life is hard. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Are you suffering? Pray. Is life hard? Pray. Remember where we started the book of James, James chapter 1. Turn with me in verse 2. James says, Here's the first command, the first imperative. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter multicolored trials, trials that are variegated, trials of every way, shape, or form. James is writing to an audience, a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus and they're struggling and they're suffering. They're, they're suffering with persecution, so there's, there's pressure from the outside. They're struggling internally that they've got poverty and they've got de- discussion and debate, dissension internally, and there's all kinds of stuff going on and they're struggling. He says, you know, whatever you're going through right now, consider it all joy. That is, don't fake it and pretend that you're happy because your circumstances might be miserable, miserable, but instead look through these difficult circumstances to what God can accomplish through them, which is to bring you to maturity, to reshape your heart, to love Jesus more than you love anything else. He can produce that character in you. So he's writing to this group of people who are suffering, and he says to them now, as we hit the end of the book, he comes back to this theme, are you suffering? It may not be the only thing that you do, but maybe the first thing that you do should be Pray. And how do you pray when you're suffering? You personally, how do you pray? When you are suffering, what do you you pray? What's the content of your prayer when you are suffering? Mine is this, get me out of this, right? As soon as possible, rescue me. Now, is that a bad thing to pray? I hope not, because I always pray it. Lord, make it, stop, make it in. I think I validate this with Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Heavenly Father, can I have different circumstances? Would you cause this cup to pass from me? Would you give me different circumstances? Because I'm not looking forward to 
beatings and crucifixion. <laughs> not looking forward to can I have different circumstances? I think, I think that's always a valid prayer. But I don't think that's how James would exhort us in this particular section. I think James would say, ask the Lord to give you strength to endure. Is anyone among you suffering? Pray. Pray what? Well, sure, you can pray that the circumstances end. But if they don't end, would you remember, pray for strength to endure. Because it's a broken and fallen world. And frequently, our circumstances don't change. And God allows them to not change so that he can produce character in us, so pray that you would endure. Now, this last week, I started, um, my quiet time started reading back through the book of Acts again. I hit chapter 4, and there's a, a couple of verses there that just seem so relevant this morning, because in chapter 4, uh, Peter and John, uh, they heal a man, and then immediately they are called into the authorities, and the authorities persecute them. They threaten them, don't speak anymore in Jesus' name. And they say, look, we got to obey God more than we're going to obey you, so we're going to keep going. You do what you got to do, but we're going to do what we have to do, and we're going to obey. And if you have to persecute, so be it. And they bring this report back to the rest of the followers of Jesus, uh, and this is their prayer, chapter 4. And now, Lord, Take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants never be threatened again. No. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and their prayer was answered, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness and confidence. And then you know what happened to their circumstances right after this? They got worse. The persecution got worse, and their courage got greater, and God answered their prayer. When you are suffering, pray. Why? Because God is a loving Heavenly Father, and He sees you, and He cares, and He understands, and His Son suffered, and His Son wasn't rescued out of all of his sufferings. He sees you. He cares. Uh, pray when you're suffering because friends share everything that's on their heart. What a friend we have in Jesus. And he wants to hear absolutely everything that is on your heart, even if it's a little bit crazy. What are you struggling with? What are you going through? We pray when we're suffering because for me, honest, that's when I'm most honest, right? I'm just I'm so shredded that I'm, I'm really much more transparent with the Lord and I'm just putting it all out there. And it's so wonderful to know that he even, even if I'm off base, this is a space in which God can correct the way that I'm thinking about life, him, circumstances, my feelings, my attitudes. He can, he can shape me because we're in communication and context of relationship with one another. And so I don't want to miss out on that opportunity when I'm suffering to be with my Heavenly Father who cares for me. So when we're suffering and life is hard, pray. When life is good, Pray, because life isn't always bad. Sometimes life is really good. So what should you do when life is good and circumstances are pleasant? Pray. Chapter 5, verse 13. Again, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. What is praise? Well, it comes from the word solo or psalms. We get the word psalms from that. It's a, it's a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. It's a prayer of, of gratitude. It can be sung, it can be whispered, it can be thought in your mind, you can do it by yourself, you can do it in a group of people. It is declaring your gratitude for these gifts that God has placed in your life. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, 
Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Just, man, sing about it. Why? Because, you know, this is how God has wired humanity. We, we respond to music, and when music and lyrics are put together, they really embed themselves deeply in our heart and our soul. It's just the way the, the human psyche has been formed by God. I, I remember uh, just a little while back, I was, you know, I was on Spotify, which, by the way, this whole section of the sermon right now is sponsored by Spotify. Um, <laughs> I was listening to Spotify, and I'm, I got, you know, I got my classic rock on, and this song I hadn't heard in, you know, decades comes on, and I knew absolutely every single word. And some of those, were, they were really very good words, right? They weren't really like great edifying kind of words, but they were just like embedded inside me that I hadn't heard for decades, and they can't be even removed out of my mind. And I thought, wow, how powerful is this? And what if we, we did this with one another? We had a playlist for ourselves personally and for one another. I was going through some really challenging times recently, and a friend of mine who I had walked with him through some challenging times about three years ago, he said, can I send you my playlist? And he sent me his playlist. Man, I just hit play, and it was like, water for my soul. Water for my soul. When you're suffering and struggling, pray. When life is good, pray. Praise. Why do we need to be reminded of it when things are good, right? It's natural when things are bad, I go to the Lord. But when things are good, I forget, right? Again, this is just a part of human nature. When things are going really well for us as followers of Jesus, we just seem seem to forget that God's the source of everything good in our lives. Remember uh, the book of Deuteronomy? It was written to that generation that they're about to go into the promised land, so previous generation wandered around in the wilderness. They all died out. New generation's about to go into the promised land. And God says this to them. He says, when you go into the land, don't forget me. Don't forget me because you're going to go into the land and you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. And you're going to enjoy grain coming out of fields that you didn't clear. And you're going to enjoy fruit coming off of vines that you didn't plant and olive groves that that you didn't plant. You're going to enjoy all of this incredible bounty that I have given to you and you're going to forget where it came from. Be on your guard. Don't forget. And then we move into the book of Judges. And what happens in the book of Judges? It's all about the people forgetting. If they get into the land and they enjoy its peace and its produce, and they begin to think, well, maybe God didn't give it to us. Maybe, maybe Baal had a hand in this as well. And they start to worship Baal, and they intermarry with the people around him. And God says, oh, you forgot me. And he puts pressure into their lives. And they go, oh, oh, oh that's right, God. Oh. Help us, rescue us, deliver us. You're the only one who can. And God steps in and he delivers them. And they once again enjoy peace and his prosperity and blessing in the land. And then they forget him. And then he brings pressure into their lives. And they remember God again. He restores their blessing in the land. And then they forget him. And this is the whole book of Judges. That's the entire book of Judges. Don't forget. Because that is human nature. We just forget. When our kids were little, Tristy and I were very spiritual people. We were deeply, profoundly spiritual people. And every time we got in the car to go on a trip, we would say, let's pray. We tell the kids, all right, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes, we're going to pray. Pray that that we have safety on the trip. God guards us and protects us. Pray that we have a good time together and good conversation. And then I remember at one point it struck me that in all of those trips we had taken, in all of the times we had prayed for safety and travel, we had never once stopped at the end of the trip to say, oh yeah, we're not dead. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We're not dead. We, we just hopped out of the car and got on with our stuff. We just forgot. 
So James says this, right? When life is hard, pray. When life is good, pray. In any and every circumstance, prayer is powerful in your lives. Third, he'll say, when we are sick, pray. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So there you have it. That's the formula. If you're ever sick, if you just follow this formula, you will always be healed, right? I don't think so. Um, For theological reasons, but also practical reasons, it hasn't worked for me. Or maybe I'm just not using the formula right. I don't know. But I don't think that's what James is saying, because sometimes people ask to be healed, and they're not. And it's not a result of not having enough faith, right? The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, he said he had a thorn in the flesh. So he had some physical ailment. And he asked the Lord, and he asked the Lord, and he asked the Lord, would you take it from me? Would you take it from me? Would you take it? He kept asking the Lord over and over. He says three times, but that means he probably just did it over and over and over again, right? That, that's, that, that's, what, that's what that means. He just kept asking. And God said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he wasn't healed, even though he asked. Another really interesting illustration uh, is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So this is the end of Paul's life, the last letter that he wrote. He wrote to Timothy, the last chapter of the last letter, near the final verses of the last letter. He's going through all of these uh, final greetings and updates about people that he works with and loves. And he says this, Trophimus, my coworker, I left him sick. In Miletus. Okay? And I remember thinking, well, why didn't Paul just heal him? Because Paul healed other people, right? Paul had even raised people from the dead, right? Actually, Paul had never healed anybody, and Paul had never raised anybody from the dead. God did that through Paul when God chose to do it. And apparently, this time God was choosing not to do it. So the great apostle Paul, who'd participated in God healing people through him, had to say, Trophimus, I had to just leave him sick in Miletus. So not everyone is healed when they ask. I'll give you one more illustration of this. Uh, this will really resonate with people who are my generation and older. You will have heard of this lady. For those of you who are younger, uh, a little bit of context. Um, there's a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. She's, uh, she's probably like 15 years, 10, 10 years older than me, uh, 10, 15 years older than me. But when I was growing up, I heard about her she, when she was 17 years old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay and she broke her neck. And so she prayed that God would heal her, and God didn't heal her. And uh, as a result, uh, the, the transforming work that God did in her heart, she just developed this incredible ministry to, to disabled people. And she's, she's been known worldwide. I mean, she's, she's sold paintings and she's published books and she even made an album and you know, and recorded an album, and she speaks, she's just this remarkable, remarkable person. A movie was made about, about her story, and uh, she said this years ago about her own lack of healing. She said, uh, does God miraculously heal? Sure he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, 
increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. It's all to the praise of deeper healing in Christ. So God doesn't always heal, but sometimes he does. And one of the ways that he does is when we come together as a body and pray for one another. And so James says, okay, yeah, so God doesn't always heal, but would you like to be healed? Then do this. Is anyone among you sick? Anyone. Then he must call for the elders of the church there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anoint him with oil. Oil is a symbol of the presence of the Spirit of God. It's a symbol of the power of God through his Spirit to heal if God so chooses, anointing them with oil. Call the elders. Why? Because they're responsible to shepherd the needs of the church. Call them in if you would like to, but you don't have to just call the elders in. Call anyone in. Come in and pray for one another because one of the ways that God heals people, and I genuinely, I have seen God do miraculous healings of people when they ask for prayer because this is one of the things that brings the body of Christ together serving one another in our moment of need. So he says, therefore, pray for one another. And I would argue that, again, it's not just the elders, but this is a gift that you can give to one another. Here at our church, if you would like the elders to come in and pray for you, they will do that. And they will bring oil, and they will anoint you in the name of the Lord, and they will pray for you to be healed. Do that that consistently. Just all the time. I mean, people ask, and we come, and we pray. But you can also ask your friends to pray for you. I would, I'd say this is one of the really sweet gifts that we give to one another. I remember uh, when I was going through cancer treatment at MD Anderson, there were days when I was walking the hallway and, you know, just I would look out and I'd see families and you could tell they're just under so much distress. And when I had, when I had a little time between appointments, I would frequently just stop and say, can I pray for you? And every single person or group of family said, yes, please. Would you please pray for us? And it wasn't one of those awkward yeses like, oh, who are you? Sure, sit down and pray. I mean, it wasn't one of those moments. It was just genuinely, yes, please, would you pray for us? And I'd hear a little bit of their story, and I would just sit with them and pray for them. When you're struggling and when you're suffering and when you're sick, don't be proud. Ask your friends to pray. Pray when life is good, pray when life is hard, pray when we've experienced sickness, pray when we have sinned. Verse 15, if the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So James is telling us that all sickness is caused by sin, right? I don't think so. But sometimes, yes. Sometimes, actually, our sin results in sickness in our physical bodies. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man, and then he slipped away, and the man didn't have time to say thanks or anything, right? He just slipped away. And then Jesus found him later. It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may happen to you. Because sometimes sin results in really yucky consequences in our lives, even physical consequences in our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is 
admonishing the believers in Corinth, and he says, many of you are sick and some of you have even died because of the sin in the body of Christ that you have not dealt with. Right? Sometimes sin actually affects our physical bodies, but not always. Sometimes people get sick because we live in a broken and fallen world, and sometimes people get sick or have an illness or a disease or a deformity because God's going to use that for his glory. John chapter 9 as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Because in their worldview, there was, there was only one option, right? If somebody's got something wrong with him, somebody sinned. He sinned or his parents sinned. That's the only explanation. Jesus said, no, you've completely missed the point. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. Instead, it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, what James is saying is this, if you're sick and you have sin that you haven't confessed, ask for prayer and confess your sin as a part of this community coming together. Again, notice, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him through prayer. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confess to one another. It's a spiritual discipline that we don't practice nearly often enough. To confess means literally to, to say the same thing. Right? You are saying the same thing as God says about the harm that you've done to yourself, to your others, to others, or to your relationship with God. You are confessing. You are saying the same thing. Confess. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know the story is true or not, but it makes for a good illustration, so I'm going to tell it anyway, all right? Uh, four pastors got together, and they agreed that they needed a, a place where they could just unburden their hearts, and they agreed that they needed to also practice this discipline of confession, so they agreed, next time we get together, we're going to begin to have this be a part of our relationships. So they got back together, all four of these guys, and the first guy said, I, I, I want to confess, I need to confess, I really struggle with with gluttony. I just eat too much. It's, it's an idol in my life, and I don't have self-control. I need to confess that to you men. Second pastor said, you know, I want to confess uh, that I struggle with greed. I feel like often I'm not paid enough, and I want to be paid more, and I want more that other people have, and I see it, and I, I have a longing in my life for these things. I have greed. I need to confess it to you, and I need forgiveness. Another guy said, I confess, I, I have pride. I love standing on the stage, and I love people just praising me, and I like being known in the community. I just wrestle with pride. I need to confess that to you. And then they went to the fourth guy. The fourth guy just sat there. He didn't say anything. I mean, they're like, hey, this, we all agreed to this. This is just part of community. And he goes, okay. I really struggle with gossip. Okay, not, probably not a true story. But I, I told that because it illustrates the point I want to make, which is we don't practice this very often. And often we don't practice it because it's risky. We need to find people who are safe. I'm not saying that you should confess on your social media account every dark thought you have in your life. I am saying that every single person needs a space where they have people who are safe, where they can uh, unload the burdens on their hearts because it's cleansing. Sometimes it's healing for us even physically. Sometimes it's healing for us spiritually, but we need to be transparent and we need to be known. We need to live in truth. 
Now, hold your place here in James, and let's turn back to Psalm 32. I want you to look at David, the illustration of this in David's life. Psalm chapter 32. This is one of David's very transparent psalms. He said, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin, and you lifted the burden from me. Paul says, when I held it in and I was unwilling to confess, it drained away my vitality. I felt the weight of sin in my physical body and in my spiritual life, and I confessed, and I was free. And some of you, what you need to do this morning, your application is you need to tell the Lord the same thing. You need to agree with him about something in your life that he's pointing out. Or maybe some of you need to tell a friend the same thing. You need to confess sin and you will experience freedom. And is it frightening and scary? Absolutely. But there's freedom in it. And so James says, look, is anyone among you, you, are you experiencing sickness because you've sinned? Well, ask for prayer. And in the context of prayer, Let's get this boulder out of the river and confess. Confess to the Lord. Confess to one another and experience the power of prayer and community and its transformation. Turn back to James chapter 5, verse 16. James gives a reason for this. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Why? Because the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. It, it creates, literally it's a Greek word for energy, right? It, it moves things. It changes things. Somebody has once said, uh, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. John Wesley once said, God does nothing but in response to prayer, which I think that's an overstatement. God can do anything he wants to do at any point in time. But one of the primary ways that he works in this world is in response to our prayer. God chooses to involve us in what he's doing in the world through prayer, right? Through our communication with him. That moves things. It changes things. So James gives a principle here. Why should you participate in this and make this just a fundamental habit of your life? Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person gets things done. It accomplishes a lot. And then he gives an illustration of this. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a prophet, but he was just like us. He wasn't, he wasn't any different from us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Elijah prayed, and it stopped raining for three years and six months. He prayed again, and it started raining. It poured again. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Look at Elijah. Look at Elijah. Now, I'll tell you, that, that story, that whole complex of events in 1 Kings 18, is, it's one of my favorite sets of stories. Um, if you don't remember, let me, let me remind you of the background, because I think there's a really particular reason why he chose this as the illustration. Um, Elijah was a prophet in the northern kingdom, right? The, kingdoms had, the kingdom had split. Judah in the south, Israel in the north. 
Elijah's a prophet in the north. King Ahab is king at this point in time. And King Ahab was absolutely wicked. Uh, He worshipped the prophets of Baal. He led people into idolatry. He had a terrible wife named Jezebel. She's the euphemism for terrible wife, right? That's that's what he's married to. They're They're just a rotten pair. They're terrible, terrible people. They're greedy and idolatrous and murderous. They're just horrible people. And as a result, the whole northern kingdom is following them, and they're being pulled away from the Lord. And so Elijah prays, and what he prays is that God would give Ahab a sign that the Lord is God and Baal is not God. So remember, Baal or Baal means Lord. So he's an anti-Lord. He's a competitive Lord. He's a replacement Lord. And he was pictured as being uh, the Lord over um, the seasons and the weather. And his throne was up on top of a mountain. And from that mountain, he could throw down rain or hail or lightning because he, he, he controlled the seasons and the weather. And so God... Uh, Elijah prays to God and he says, give, I want you to give Ahab, please give him a sign. What a great sign if, Lord, you just took control of the weather. Right? <laughs> you just took control of the weather. And there's no rain at all. And there's drought and it's terrible and all the people are complaining and they're rising up against Ahab. And he, Ahab, you, you, want, you want me to fix this? I can pray. But we need to have a showdown first. So let's go up onto uh, Baal's throne room. Let's go on the top of the mountain, Mount Carmel. So they go up into what is supposedly Baal's house, right? Elijah well, said, let's go into Baal's house. Why don't you bring all of Baal's prophets, 400 of them, and, and let's, let's throw down, okay? We're just, we're going to have it out right here. So what we're going to do is you're going to take a, an ox, and I'm going to take an ox, and you're going to build an altar, and I'm going to build an altar, and you're going to pray to Baal, who you think is the Lord of all the weather, and you're going to ask him to come down and burn up your offering, send fire from heaven, you can't light a match, just fire from heaven. And we'll see whose God responds to that prayer. Why don't you go first? And so they do. And they're going all morning, and they're going late into the afternoon, and they're dancing around, and they're singing all their songs, and Baal's not answering, and Baal's not answering. At one point, Elijah gets super sarcastic with them, and he says, hey, why don't you yell a little louder? Uh, perhaps Baal is taking a nap, or maybe he went into the inner room, meaning he's in the bathroom. <laughs> Literally, it's so euphemistic, it's so, it's so hilarious. He's just so sarcastic and mocking. Yell louder. And so they're yelling louder, and then they start cutting themselves, right? So they're bleeding all over the place, so they're thinking, maybe this will get Baal's attention. And by the end of the afternoon, they're just like, they're, they're just exhausted, bled out, laying on the ground. They're just wiped out, and he says, my turn. Puts his animal on the altar. He says, let's make this interesting. Pour water. How precious was water at that time? There'd been a drought for three and a half years. Get all the water you can find. Pour it on. Make it hard for the Lord. Just make it really hard. Soaks it. Water's running down. It's filling the trough around. It's pouring out everywhere. And he says, all right, now it's God's turn. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Yeah, obviously. And Baal's nothing. And what happened? There was a national revival because this is what Elijah was really praying for, that the people's hearts would turn back to the Lord. 
that they would repent of their sin and they would once again love the Lord. So what's happening here in James? This friend is struggling. They're experiencing the effect of sin in their own bodies. And they need to be prayed for, but they need to be brought to this point of confession so that there can be revival, so there can be repentance, so that they can be healed, not just physically, but also spiritually. And this is something that we do for one another. This is what we do for one another. So he gives the principle. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person gets a lot done. Here's an illustration. Elijah, he's a man, nature just like ours. But he prayed. He prayed for God's people. And he saw repentance and he saw revival. And then he gives an application of the principle. Verse 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Remember, we're not talking about heaven and hell here. We're saying salvation of the soul is rescuing a follower of Jesus from wrecking his or her life through sin. So he says, therefore, pray for one another, receive one another's confession, and then maybe you're the answer to your own prayer. Go and persuade, turn your brother, challenge, confront, persuade, turn your, help your brother turn away from the foolishness of sin so that they can experience healing in every respect in their lives and not ruin their lives with the consequences of sin, sometimes which is even life being cut short, but it's always life being more miserable outside of fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. See, James is bringing all of this back around. We help one another turn from sin and grow into maturity. Okay, so let's go back to chapter one and let's tie this all together. James chapter one, verse two. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into any sort of trial. That doesn't mean pretend that you're happy, and that doesn't mean pretend that the circumstance is good. It's a miserable circumstance. Instead, what he says is, consider it all joy. That is, look, look through the terrible circumstance for what God can accomplish through that terrible circumstance. Consider it all joy when you fall into any kind of trial because you look through it. That is, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the point of James' letter, that you would grow to maturity. That you'd be perfect, mature, whole, lacking in nothing. But James says, but if you're going through that trial and you realize you don't know how to get through it well, then ask God's wisdom. Because he gives generously without reproach. He loves to give his wisdom to show you how to walk through the trial well. But he says, you know, but if you're going to do that, you need to ask without doubting. That is, you can't come to God and say, God, uh, I'd like to know your perspective on my problems. And if it aligns with what I want to do, then I'll do it. And I'll decide afterwards. He says, no, you got to ask without a double mind or literally a double soul. Because if you're double souled and you're not sure if you're going to follow God's way, you won't receive God's wisdom this is that double, literally double-souled man will receive nothing. He won't receive God's wisdom. He won't receive God's strength. He won't receive God's power to endure. And so what James is saying throughout this letter is what we need is for our soul no longer to be split. 
between a love for the world and our own way and our love for God. Because we're going to struggle and suffer if our soul is divided or split. This is the first and great commandments. Great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's, that's an integrated soul. A soul that is not divided or split at all. Instead, at the very center of the soul is a love for God and everything else is secondary. Then if you're going through trials, God can give you his wisdom and his strength to endure. If he rescues you from a trial and your circumstances are pleasant, then you turn to him in gratitude because every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. He's always giving you good gifts. So praise him and pray to him at all times. And you can because your, your heart and your soul is not divided. H how do we move toward that? Well, one of the ways that we move toward that is when we pray for one another and persuade one another and challenge one another. That's the value of being in a community where we're known and we have people who trust us and we trust them. And whatever the circumstances are in our lives, we can be transparent before the Lord and we can be transparent before our friends. And James says, this is what moves us toward maturity and not missing out on God's best for our lives. So, how do we apply this? Well, uh, let's pray. Okay, let's pray. I want to encourage you this week to uh, start or refresh a habit of prayer. Start a new one or refresh an old one. Um, if you want to buy a new prayer journal, because that just really motivates you to get the new journal, it's all fresh, get a new journal. Uh, get, get a three-by-five card and write some prayer requests down or write ACTS, A-C-T-S. Um, we're actually going to, I just feel like this is such an important topic. After Easter, we're going to spend four weeks more just talking about prayer, so we're going to really drill down deep. But I want to say this week, create a new habit. For me, I, I walk and pray. That's my best time. I don't know, just the physical movement just puts me in this great space where I can just pour out my heart before the Lord and I, I see things of beauty and I can give thanks and I can praise and I confess. It just, it just puts me in a really good space. So, you know, if you, if you see me walking around the building or out in the, that field or I'm walking past uh, Grayson's house here, you know, <laughs> down the road here, I'm, I'm just walking in the neighborhood. What I'm doing is I'm praying. Feel free to interrupt me because I can start again. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's also, as I told you, that's the excuse for why I have to have a dog when I take the dog out at night, I just walk with the dog and I pray. And I pray. That for me is just a really great habit and I do it, I do it consistently. Or maybe a great habit for you to start would be every time you touch your phone, pray. Right? I mean, think about it. Maybe, that, maybe make that the cue. How many times would you pray every day if every time you touched your phone, sure, read what you need on your phone, but also pray? I think we would pray a lot more. I'm just saying this week, Start or refresh a habit of prayer. This morning, if you have uh, some burden on your heart that you'd like people to pray for, there's a card in the back of each of the chairs. You can fill that prayer request card out. Drop it in the, uh, out at the Welcome Center as you're leaving or hand it to one of our uh, deacons or staff. Uh, we have a list that we, we populate and we email it out, and you, there are hundreds of people that will pray for your prayer request. Or if you would like someone to pray for you this morning, we're going to have uh, we've got some, some families and some students who've agreed to come and stand up front. At the end of the service, they'll be facing outward, just 
come up and share as much or as little as you want to. You can share zero if you want to and just say, would you pray with me? Or if you want to share part of what is your burden and have them pray for you, people will be right here ready to just be with you and to, to pray for you. As we close, I want to take a few moments too and just give us some space just to pray. So if you would, bow your heads. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts, things to pray for. First is this. If during the course of our discussion of James 5, there's just been this conviction on your heart that there's sin to confess, don't wait another second. Just take a few moments right now and confess before the Lord. came in this morning, you had just this incredible burden that you, you're carrying and it just feels so heavy. Take a moment and thank Jesus for being a good shepherd who carries these things with you and lay it down again before him. Now take just a moment and, and pray for a friend or a family member who does not know Jesus that the veil would be lifted and they would see clearly who Jesus is and say yes to him. Or maybe you came in this morning and you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus. I encourage you this morning to tell God that you know you have done things wrong, that those things have created distance, a barrier between you and God, and that you believe that Jesus died and rose again to remove that barrier, and then just tell him, thank you. Thank you for letting Jesus die. I, I'm asking you to forgive my sins and give me eternal life. Just pray that prayer to God right now. Father, make us a people who are just hungry to be in your presence. Let's remember, even, even when we have sinned and we feel a hesitation to move towards you, that Satan's whispering lies in our ears, that we would remember that you welcome us back because we are completely forgiven in Jesus. Father, I pray this week that we would take advantage of that, that we would remember that we have access through the blood of Jesus Christ and we would humbly but boldly come into your presence. I pray that you build that, that habit of being in consistent, constant conversation with you. I pray that we would experience that just refreshment and rest for our souls as we lay all of our cares and concerns before you. So we give you praise and thanks for all that you've done in our lives. The communication would be rich, pleasing to you and satisfying to our souls acknowledge this morning that all of that is possible because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross and we give you thanks for him. Thank you, Jesus.